you are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Football season is finally here. It's been a treacherous journey through the dark abyss known as the NFL offseason, but we have survived and we have endured. We got through the draft, got through free agency. Now we'll be rewarded with the start of training camp tomorrow. The Seahawks officially reported to the VMAC today. All the veterans, the rookies, arrived last week. And finally, they will be back on the field tomorrow, getting ready for the 2019 season. To open up tonight's show, it's been a busy, busy day here in the Pacific Northwest with the Seahawks getting ready to start tomorrow. And I'll take a deep dive into some of today's top headlines in Seattle and around the NFL. In the second quarter, much as I did on the offensive side of the football yesterday, I'll be taking a closer look at all six of Seattle's defensive rookies, and we'll close out tonight's pod with a quick training camp primer. To reach their potential, the Seahawks must answer five pivotal questions during training camp and the preseason. Before we get rolling on the show here, if your company wants to reach an upscale male audience, then your company's ad should be running right here on this podcast. To get your company connected with this audience, email LockedSeahawks at gmail.com or email Locked at LockedOnSeahawks.com to to get more details about increasing your business. As expected on report day for training camp, the Seahawks had a flurry of roster activity today. Some of this was brought on by Jaron Reed's suspension, which was announced by the NFL on Monday. He's out for the first six games of the 2019 season, a major blow to Seattle's defense going into training camp. And as reported by Mike Garofalo of NFL Network, the Seahawks have been active in finding a potential short-term replacement for Reed, agreeing to terms with with veteran Earl Mitchell today on a one-year contract. Now, I talked about Mitchell a little bit yesterday when I was looking at some potential replacements Seattle could consider. Here's what the Seahawks are getting. He's six foot three, 310 pounds. He's played the three-tech position, nose tackle in his career, 130 career games, 66 career starts, 267 tackles and 15 tackles for loss. So he's been a decent run defender during his career. That's been the reputation. That's why he's now entering his 10th NFL season and he's still hanging around. His run defense is pretty solid, but he doesn't offer much in the pass rushing department. Six and a half sacks, 17 quarterback hits in his entire career. So I thought the Seahawks were going to maybe look at a little different candidate here, somebody that maybe had a little more pass rushing prowess. That's not what you're getting with Earl Mitchell. He's not going to replace Reed in that capacity, but he's a solid run defender. And there's really no guarantee. I've been explaining this on social media today. There's no guarantee Mitchell will make this football team either. These late signings like this tend to be for the veteran minimum. And it's doubtful if there's much, if any, guaranteed money on the table to bring him to Seattle, even though this is a player the Seahawks have had a lot of interest in in the last three years. Even before he went to the 49ers in 2017, he met with the Seahawks as a free agent. So this is a player they've had interest, they've been curious about for quite some time. And obviously he was one of the candidates they were expected to look at given the Reed news. Uh, But that does not mean he's going to be making this football team necessarily. He's got to earn his spot. But I think he's going to have a decent chance to do that because he's a solid run defender. And really, he gives the Seahawks another mentor presence for the young guys. He could be in the mix to start, potentially, until Jaron Reed comes back because he's played both the three-tech and nose tackle position. He gives you some flexibility. He started 28 games the past two seasons for the 49ers. So certainly a capable player that can come in in the short term, not 
not somebody they're hoping is going to be starting the entire season, but could be in the mix there along with Al Woods and maybe Nas Jones is going to be considered there, Quentin Jefferson. They've got some bodies, uh, but losing Jaron Reed, they don't have another player in their team that can rush quite like him from the interior. Among other moves, the Seahawks also signed receiver Daniel Williams out of Jackson State. He's entering his third year in the NFL. He was an undrafted free agent signing. He's been with the Jets, the Redskins, and the Browns over the past two seasons, but he has no NFL game experience to this point. To open up roster spots for Williams and Mitchell, Seattle waived Marcellus Sutton and cornerback Derek Thomas. I'm not surprised at all about Sutton, but the Thomas move, that's a bit of a shocker to me. I'm really hoping some more information comes out. Maybe there's an injury and they're trying to waive Thomas so that he can revert to injured reserve and they can hang on to him. We've seen the Seahawks do that and other teams do that with young players like Derek Thomas in the past. With him being a tall, really athletic corner, I thought he was going to be a player the Seahawks were going to be really eager to get into training camp and work with, but maybe that is not the case anymore as they've waived him and who knows he could come back we've seen them cut guys wave guys and then they come back eventually but for now he is not on the 90-man roster in other notable news NFL teams including the Seahawks had to designate players for the physically unable to perform and non-football injury lists before training camp starts last week the Seahawks actually placed four rookies on the pup list including second rounder Marquise Blair and fourth round pick Phil Haynes so they already made those moves when their rookies reported last week but the deadline was today to place any players on either one of those lists Demetrius Knox was activated from the non-football injury list yesterday so as of right now Lano Hill who was added to the pup list he joins those other four rookies and Caleb Scott the second year receiver out of Vanderbilt he's on the non-football injury list so you've got a total of six players that are on either the pup or the NFI list and Lano Hill is the most intriguing name here obviously because he's a player that the Seahawks have been really optimistic about potentially competing for a starting spot he has not been able to do anything this entire offseason though he suffered a cracked hip in the regular season finale last year against the Cardinals that caused him to miss the playoff game in Dallas and who knows that might have been a difference maker for the Seahawks having him in that game he was playing really well in the month of December he had two starts at strong safety finished with 24 tackles in 13 games really good coverage against tight ends in a few of those games he did a really nice job on George Kittle in their second game against the 49ers even though Seattle ended up losing in overtime played really well so not having him to open up training camp that's a disadvantage to the player and the team they would like to get all these safeties into training camp so that they can really see what they have and get the best starting combination you get five players that are competing for two starting spots and obviously last year Seattle played a third safety and a few sub packages but these guys want to start they want to play as many snaps as possible so for Hill entering his third season Hopefully this is a very short stay on the pup list and he'll be able to come back soon. Pete Carroll made it sound like during mandatory minicamp that he was going to be good to go by this point, but this is a severe injury that he's coming back from. He lost some weight during his recovery, so likely trying to get his muscle mass back up so that he's ready for the rigors of an NFL training camp and then it'll get him out there. As for Caleb Scott, the receiver that was placed in NFI, he injured his foot during offseason workouts. Actually, he had a broken foot during an offseason workout and has not participated in the Seahawks uh, mandatory minicamp or their organized team activities. So he's going to be out 
for the foreseeable future. Seattle does have the ability to activate either one of those players at any time, but they're not eligible to practice until the team does so. I think it's interesting, you know, looking at some positive news here, I really thought defensive end Ziggy Anza and maybe tight end Will Disley would start the season on the pup list, but both of them appear to be ready to go for the start of training camp, and that doesn't mean they're going to be full participants, especially with Ziggy Anza. Seattle's going to play it cautiously with him, but this is a really good development for them for his future being ready for week one if he is going to start the season and not be on the pup list. That's very encouraging. Same for Will Disley coming off of a torn patellar tendon. Both those guys are going to be able to at least participate in something to start training camp, and hopefully by middle of camp or maybe even into the preseason, both those guys will be rolling full and good to go for the start of the regular season. Sneaking to NFL news in general here, it's a former Seahawk, but Earl Thomas, really for the first time, he speaks with Josina Anderson of ESPN, now a Baltimore Raven, and he admits the middle finger that he waved towards the Seahawks sideline after he broke his leg in week four last season was directed at Pete Carroll, and he didn't really hold back in his interview today. He said, I don't regret my decision. If my teammates felt like it was towards them, I regret that part, but I don't regret doing that to Pete. And this is just, you know, it just adds to this awful ending to his time in Seattle. As you may recall, Thomas held out during the offseason, training camp preseason, and then reported for the start of the season. He had three interceptions in those first four games played like he didn't even need training camp, but the relationship had soured to that point. And, and Thomas added, I gave him the middle finger because I didn't feel like he was being honest with me. And it's very evident that he thinks Carol, who had told him he wanted to still re-sign him, wasn't being truthful about that. It was certainly a situation where the Seahawks felt it was time to move on and the player felt it was time to move on. And it's unfortunate it had to end this way, especially for a six-time Pro Bowler, a three-time All-Pro selection, 28 picks in his career, one of the best players in general in Seahawks history and unfortunately he's going to be wrapping his career up elsewhere and hopefully these two sides can mend things down the road and Earl Thomas can be in the ring of honor and eventually go to Canton in the Pro Football Hall of Fame largely on the production that he had in Seattle as part of the Legion of Boom. Up next in the second quarter, continuing off yesterday's segment on the offensive side of the football, I'm going to take a closer look at Seattle's six defensive rookies as they prepare to enter their first NFL training camp. Where does each player fit, and what are reasonable expectations for their first NFL seasons? Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. 
Don't switch off the podcast. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, with training camp on the horizon starting tomorrow. I'll be doing a quick primer to prepare you for the next several weeks. What does Seattle need to figure out during this training camp to reach its potential in 2019? But before we dive too deep into training camp, yesterday I revisited all of Seattle's offensive draft picks, looking at strengths and weaknesses, analyzing where the player fits into Seattle's scheme, and set some realistic ceilings and floors for rookie season expectations. As I referenced yesterday, Seattle transformed four total draft picks, which was the lowest total of all the NFL teams going into April's draft. They turned it into 11 selections. A great job by John Schneider. But again, it's not going to matter if several of these players don't wind up being long-term contributors for the Seahawks. So looking at their first pick in the first round, LJ Collier, big strength for this guy. He plays with heavy hands, 280 plus pounds, so he can play that five-tech base end position. I think that's where he'll start. He can reduce inside on pass rushing situations to three-tech alignment as a defensive tackle. Very stout against the point of attack against the run. Holds anchor at the edge effectively. And I think the biggest surprise I saw on film with him, and I saw this in the pre-draft process too, surprising counter moves off his bull rush. He's really developed in that area uh, for being a guy that I don't think is an overly great athlete. He's got pretty refined counter moves after playing several seasons at TCU, so he can be an effective rusher. The The big weakness for me is the athleticism. I don't think it's great. You look at his combine numbers, and he was near the bottom in a lot of those drills in terms of quickness and speed. So I don't see that on film either. He doesn't have the the great speed off the edge. He's not going to have the bend around the corner. He doesn't have a great angle flexion. He's limited in terms of burst off the snap. There's some quickness concerns here. So that's the biggest thing for me. I see a a really fundamentally sound football player. The biggest question mark is going to be how does he hold up athletically. As far as where he fits, this has been pretty obvious. Pete Carroll has mentioned this numerous times. LJ Collier is the new Michael Bennett. That's at least what Carroll wants him to become. He's going to start at that five-tech position. He's going to be able to move inside and play a lot of snaps in the interior. They're going to be able to move him around quite a bit. And if he's able to handle both spots, he can be a really good run defender, and he can also generate some sacks. So when I look at his ceiling, I think there's enough upside here, even though the athleticism is something that I'm going to be having to keep an eye on in the early stages of his career. I think he's got enough upside to be a five to six sack contributor as a rookie if everything falls into place. He can be a 35-40 tackle player as a starter at that base defensive end spot. If he's overwhelmed athletically, which I don't know that's necessarily far-fetched, he might not be able to secure a starting job, and he's a first-rounder that's riding the pine a fair amount as a reserve, and that's not what the Seahawks want. I have a feeling that he's going to be in that mid-ground. He's going to be a player that's going to be an effective starter for them. Just don't know that you're going to get a ton of sacks out of him, at least as a rookie. Second-round pick, Marquise Blair. This is another one that was a little surprising. A lot of third- and fourth-round grades out there in the draft community for Blair. A hard-hitting safety out of Utah. That's the first major strength that we've got here. He's a hard hitter, physical presence near the line of scrimmage. Even though he's under 200 pounds, you wouldn't know it by the way that he plays. 
really good movement skills. You can see the speed and coverage, the ability to track down the football. He's an effective box safety with the athleticism and ball skills to become a free safety in the NFL with development. As far as weaknesses go, he's one of those guys that's a really hard hitter that doesn't always play fundamentally sound, and that especially happens as a tackler. He goes for the big hit rather than rap. He's trying to get that Madden hit stick, and then he gets caught out of place. Sometimes he over-pursues or he doesn't wrap up and ends up having the ball carrier just bounce off of him. He's only had a few picks in his career too, so he's got limited experience as far as what he showed is good ball skills, but teams haven't really tested him. I'm curious what he does in the NFL level when NFL quarterbacks start to test him a little bit, and I've also noticed he's a little bit injury prone. Brief tenure with Utah, he missed the end of his junior season with a torn ACL has had some hamstring issues that now have him on the pup list to start training camp. So is he going to be able to hold up? Is he going to be durable enough? Where he fits in the Seattle scheme, right now I personally see him as a better fit to start his career at strong safety because he seems more natural there on film given his physicality and aggressiveness near the line of scrimmage. I love watching how he defends the run. Certainly would like to see some more muscle on his frame to be able to play that position. Maybe the free safety spot in the long run is is going to be a better fit for him. But I see him right now, if you really want him to get in the lineup, strong safety is where it's at. So as far as ceilings go, if he comes off the pup list, he wins the starting job alongside Bradley McDougal out of camp. And I truly believe at some point this year, he will be starting for the Seahawks. Could be in contention potentially for NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in this system. If he's able to blast ball carriers, pick off a few passes, we know those kind of players tend to draw the headlines. As far as floors go, it's all about health to me. If he's unable to get or stay healthy and he only plays special teams when he's available, then that would be the floor to me. I don't see him being a player as a second-round pick they're going to cut. They have high expectations for him. But if he's not able to stay healthy, then that impacts everything. It's going to keep him off the field. In the third round, the Seahawks picked linebacker Cody Barton. That was another one that kind of surprised people. But after the draft, you got a sense that other teams really liked this kid. The Colts were interested in him, and a couple other teams in that third-round range were certainly hoping he would fall to them. He's a very instinctive player, a sound tackler when he wraps up ball carriers. He's a former safety in high school, so you can see that in his coverage abilities. He offers special teams value. I think the big thing for me with him, he doesn't always seem to handle his run fits well, and I don't see the combine testing numbers on film. I see average range sideline to sideline, and I'm wondering about his weight. He was 227 pounds in his all-star game, so if he's going to be in that weight range, I don't know about him as a middle linebacker, even in today's era where lighter, quicker linebackers are the way to go. Where he fits in, this is a special teams player right now. But K.J. Wright's been impressed with him. Bobby Wagner's been impressed with him. Maybe he's going to find his way into a sub-package role at some point. As far as ceilings and floors, I think he would have to have an injury to get on the field defensively this year in front of him. The steady ceiling would be 10 to 15 tackles on special teams. The floor would be floundering in camp. This is a very deep position at linebacker. If he comes in and struggles during training camp in the preseason, they've still got another rookie, Ben Burkirvan. They've got Austin Calitro there. They're bringing back Michael Kendricks. It's not out of the question. As a third-round pick, I'd be stunned if they cut him. But if he got outperformed by a bunch of guys, maybe that's what ends up happening. I don't see that. In the fourth round, the Seahawks went with another defensive back, Hugo Amati. And if you're looking for a word to sum this guy up, it's versatile. He can play corner. 
He can play free safety. He actually did well in the box at Oregon despite his size. He's only five foot nine, but he plays bigger than that. He's a capable blitzer. He had a few sacks and tackles for loss at Oregon. I see good ball skills, and he's a special teams guy all the way around. He can return kicks and punts. He showed that last year. He's a guy that can be on your kickoff and punt coverage and make plays. What I'm concerned with as far as weaknesses, size is going to be something that concerns me a little bit as far as height at free safety. Doesn't really have the build to be a box safety. As far as nickel corner goes, I'm worried about change of direction skills. They're not great. Didn't do well in the combine testing there compared to some players either. Could have some trouble with quick, crafty slot receivers. I saw that when they were playing Bowling Green, they were playing against a really good slot receiver, last name Miller. He was drafted. But this kid is not overly explosive, but he's a really crafty receiver. And Amadi had some trouble with him in that game. Even though Oregon won handily, uh, Miller was able to make some plays against Amadi. So I'm curious if he's going to be able to handle that position. I think he's a special teams player right now. Maybe he's got a shot at that nickel job. As far as ceiling goes, he wins that slot corner job, beats out Akeem King, Kalen Reed, and a few of those players. Floor, he'd be struggling in camp and get weeded out of a crowded safety group, barely makes the team just because of his special team's ability. In the fifth round, Ben Burkirvin, second linebacker the Seahawks brought in. This guy knows how to find the football. He makes tackles in bunches. He led the FBS in tackles last year. He can play all three linebacker spots, even though he's only 230 pounds. He's a really smooth athlete, sub 4'6 speed, and I see that on film. Whereas Barton, like I said, sometimes I don't see his combine numbers showing up on film. I see it from Ben Burkirvin. The instincts are there. He's rangy, knows how to get the football out. He had six force fumbles in the college level. As far as weaknesses, size is a big deal for me and working off blocks. I'm really concerned that he's going to have trouble if he gets swallowed up in traffic and he's not going to be able to get off blocks, especially at his size. So that's something I'm going to be curious to watch during the preseason once the real bullets start flying in actual games. I think he's like Barton, a special teams player right now. Could be the heir apparent to KJ Wright at weak side linebacker. Maybe Barton's in the mix there too. These two guys are being developed for the future. He could be a Pro Bowl caliber special teams player. That would be the highest ceiling for me. As far as floor, if his size ends up making it difficult for him to get off blocks and he gets off a slow start, he could be a surprising cut out of camp. I certainly could see that in a loaded linebacking corps. And the last draft pick Seattle made defensively, this guy now suddenly has a lot more importance to the Seattle Seahawks, and that's defensive tackle Demarcus Christmas out of Florida State. He's got good size for an NFL defensive tackle. There's some pass rushing ability in there, but as I saw in film, it's very inconsistent. It just comes in bursts. He's got good lateral quickness that allows him to split up gaps. He can make some plays in the backfield against the run. My biggest concern, and I noticed this immediately when I was watching film, is he'll have a couple good plays and then he'll just disappear for a long while. And to me, that speaks about motor concerns. Does he have the motor to play hard every play? Is there urgency every play, especially as a pass rusher? And that's something that's going to have to get fixed quickly for him to be able to last in the NFL. As far as where he fits, a few weeks ago, I would have said he's going to be right in the mix for maybe one of the last roster spots. I think he can have a chance now at significant snaps without Jaron Reed being available those first six games. 
this is a much different situation for him. He becomes a surprise starter potentially if everything works out, and maybe that just tells you where the Seahawks' depth is at their defensive tackle position right now. He could earn a bunch of snaps in a reserve role too, and he would be far exceeding expectations from just a few weeks ago. As far as floor, he could get outplayed by Jamie Meter and Nas Jones, and he gets cut after a poor camp. He's a sixth-round pick. Those guys don't always stick. When we return to the airwaves, training camp is officially almost underway, and I'm going to answer five burning questions the Seahawks must be able to answer during training camp and the preseason if they want to contend for a playoff spot once again. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. The new football season is finally upon us, and even after the Reed news earlier this week, Optimist Pete Carroll is still fired up about the prospects for his team. As he said following last year's playoff loss in Dallas, he believes Seattle is building a contender again in the Pacific Northwest. Why does he feel that way? Well, there's definitely some reasons you can understand his optimism. Most of this roster is back. Yeah, they lost Frank Clark, Earl Thomas is gone, Jaron Reed suspended, but I mean, most of that roster from last year that was a really young team for the most part is back. He's got his quarterback, Russell Wilson, locked up through 2023. You got an exciting draft class on both sides of the football with some players that he believes can come in and contribute right away. And they've got coach continuity this year. Brian Schottenheimer's back. Mike Solari's back as offensive line coach. Ken Norton Jr., second year's defensive coordinator. But to surpass last year's squad, to win a playoff game, maybe win a division title beyond that, there are major questions that must be addressed on both sides of the ball. And this is as important of a camp as we've seen in the Pete Carroll era because this team is so young. So the first question, will the Seahawks offense evolve in year two under the direction of Brian Schottenheimer? Last year, they ran the ball 52% of the time, the only team in the league with more than 50%. In today's NFL, that's probably not a sustainable model, though the Seahawks do have the pieces to do it. And Brian Schottenheimer said this during mandatory minicamp, we make no apologies for how we play. We want to run the football. We want to be physical. We're going to take our shots. I think that's evident by the production we had last year, all the points we put up. The Seahawks did finish sixth in scoring, so they did put a lot of points on the board, but that doesn't mean there's not room to improve. Will Schottenheimer do a better job of getting his receivers open through scheming? History doesn't necessarily suggest so if you look back at his tenures with the Jets and the Rams, but he never had a quarterback like Russell Wilson either. Maybe there will be some differences now in his second season. They've had the whole offseason to look at what went right and what went wrong last year. You also have to consider the Carroll factor here. He wants a balanced offense. This isn't about ratios between the run and the pass, but He's got to do what he's got to do to win each Sunday. And there was a few times last year where he intervened a little bit too much. That Bears game, for example. Running the ball helped them put points to the board. They won 10 games in large part because of that running game. But it was still Russell Wilson that shouldered this offense with 35 touchdown passes. Schottenheimer needs to ease the burden on him a bit. A little more play action, especially on early downs. More passing on first downs, I think. Mixing it up, being a little less predictable. Creating opportunities for receivers to get open and then they can create yardage after the catch where the Seahawks were 31st in the NFL last year. They need to be better in that category and that falls a lot on Schottenheimer. The second big question, will players, which players will help fill the void left behind by Doug Baldwin on and off the field? As Pete Carroll's talked about several times, you're not going to replace the player and the man with Doug Baldwin. He's unique. He's one of a kind, talking about one of the most tremendous competitors that's ever played in Seattle, an incredible leader on and off the field. 
He's tough. He possesses grit. He's passionate. All of those things. And the Seahawks aren't going to be able to have a guy on the roster that's going to be able to replace that. But they have to replace his production. So that falls on a couple groups here. Who are the main contenders to fill the void for him in the slot? And who are a few sleepers going into this camp? To me, there are three main contenders. First off, Jerron Brown. I don't think he's going to be playing snaps in the slot. But as far as production goes, he was underused last year. The Seahawks coaching staff has admitted it. So he's going to get more opportunities. He's going to get more targets this year. So I could see him filling a big role there. David Moore, third-year player, last year played on the outside exclusively. They're working him in the slot this offseason. That'll be a chance for him to really take a jump in year three. If he can play in the slot and on the outside, he could become that number two receiver behind Tyler Lockett. And rookie Gary Jennings, a player that has a big body, 6'2", 200-plus pounds, really athletic vertical threat, played a lot out of the slot at West Virginia. So maybe he's your natural fit to replace Baldwin in the slot. As far as sleepers go, my biggest sleeper from this group is Keenan Reynolds. He's in his second year with the Seahawks, former Navy quarterback that was a Heisman finalist. Last year, if Doug Baldwin's not healthy week one, I think Keenan Reynolds is on the roster opening day. He did dress for two games last season. He's had a really strong offseason, can play special teams. You know he can do things with a football in his hands. So he's my sleeper to keep an eye on. John Ursua, the seventh rounder out of Hawaii, is also a player to watch because he has played a ton of slot. He might be the most natural slot receiver on this roster. And Amara Darbo, I have him included here because you know the talents there. He missed all last season injured. He struggled his rookie year. He's really going to be facing steep odds to make this team, but he played a lot of slot at Michigan, and that's where Doug Baldwin had most of his snaps, so that might give Darbo an opportunity to make this football team. The third question Seattle's offense has to answer really quickly, just how good can their offensive line be? Dwayne Brown believes it can be the best in the league. To me, the biggest key for this line, if they want to have a top five unit, they got to keep their guys healthy. Health really matters here. Fluker and Upati in the guard spots, they have significant injury histories, including last year missing a bunch of games. they got to keep those guys healthy. And the biggest key to making that next step, Jermaine Effetti. They need Jermaine Effetti to be an impact player in his fourth year. Going into free agency next year, he's got all the motivation to take another big jump in his second season under Mike Solari. If he can do that, especially in pass protection, Seattle can have a top five line, which would be a huge deal for their playoff chances. On the defensive side of the football, this is the most obvious one. We've talked about a lot already here on the Locked on Seahawks podcast, but where aware will Seattle get a pass rush from? 23 and a half sacks from last year won't be on the field in week one. Jaron Reed's going to be suspended. Frank Clark's in Kansas City. This is a very young defensive line. Plus Ziggy Anza, who's trying to come back from shoulder surgery. Who knows what he's going to look like when he's back in action. they got a young core now that faces more pressure than ever with Reed being suspended. Collier, Rasheem Green, Puna Ford, Jacob Martin. Those guys now, even more is going to be expected of them to try to pick up the slack And really what it comes down to to me, those guys are going to get their snaps. Call your green Ford Martin. They're going to get their snaps. Can they get a surprise contributor? That's been the key in the Pete Carroll era is finding somebody to rush the passer that you weren't necessarily expecting was going to be a big part of that game. And there's two players to keep an eye on. Shaquem Griffin, who's playing Sam linebacker as well as weak side linebacker, 
giving him a chance to play off the edge more. He was a great pass rusher in college. If he can come in and give them some snaps, he's a player who could certainly help liven up that pass rush a little bit. And Barkevius Mingo, he started the Sam spot last year. He's been working a lot with defensive line coach Clint Hurt during the offseason. Maybe the former first-round pick can give them a few sacks playing that Leo defensive end spot, which would certainly help the pass rush in general. And last but not least... What's the next step for this young secondary in the post-Legion of Boom era? They've invested so many draft picks back there in the last three or four years. Shaquille Griffin, they drafted Trey Flowers, both those guys to the corner spots. Four draft picks on safeties the last three years, including uh, Blair and Amadi this offseason. But yet, questions still remain. The jury's still out on Griffin. Can he improve his tackling? Can he improve his ball skills? So many interception opportunities that he either didn't turn around to make a play or he just missed out on. Trey Flowers exceeded expectations as a rookie. What is he going to be able to do in year two learning the position? Really high expectations for him now after what he did in his rookie season. The one constant is Bradley McDougal. You know he's going to be there. Second on team in tackles last year. Three picks three forced fumbles, but can there be growth around him? They've got to get more out of Griffin as a tackler and playing the football. He could have had so many picks the last couple years. Flowers certainly is in a similar position. That was his biggest issue last year was making plays on the football, though they, the other teams seem to test Griffin a bit more. At the safety spot, I mentioned earlier, Lano Hill played well at the strong safety spot late last season. Health has been his biggest obstacle, and it still is, starting the season on the pup list. Blair and Amadi are unknowns. They're rookies. You don't know what you're going to get from those two guys. They are here to put pressure on Hill and Tedrick Thompson, a player that I'm just not sure if he's a good fit for this system due to some physical limitations. I don't think he's got necessarily the athletic traits to be that center field free safety he's clearly not Earl Thomas but there aren't many players like Earl Thomas out there I worry though about his ability to get to the football and his range just because of those physical limitations so he's going to really be having to fight to keep a starting job and if he does keep one it's going to alter what the Seahawks can do schematically just because the fact I don't think he's got that range back there necessary to be a true cover three free safety in Pete Carroll's system so the Seahawks got to get that secondary figured out which players can we really count on to make that big leap forward so this secondary can recover after losing all those stars from the Legion of Boom. Well, folks, that's the end of our show here. It went really fast. Tons of information in a very short time. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. If you'd like to be a featured sponsor on this Locked on Seahawks podcast, you can contact me, LockedSeahawks at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, your preferred podcast platform by visiting us at www.LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I'll have all the scoop from day one of Seahawks training camp, including commentary from players and coaches, and we'll start taking in-depth looks at each positional grouping with the quarterback spot. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Go Hawks!